Chapter 15. Warm, soft, deep. This felt like climbing. It was a struggle to reach further, up and up, clawing for anything but the crumbling feeling. His mind felt raw. That was wrong. Wrong. You left me there. I was always there with you, right? You were there with me, even though we were gone, gone, gone. Wake up, Will Graham. Your life has requested an audience. His eyes pulled open like stuck blinds, all half-shuttered and twisted together. A mess of dim bulbs and soft sounds greeted him as he gripped and grabbed his way back, back to the place he did not wish to return to. His life had become the play, and his view of the lights above a stage backdrop. The face to exit stage right, Hannibal stood with a pair of blue latex gloves in his hands. While he spoke, he shimmied his hands into the tight material, stretching out the fingers as if filling a limp prop. The meat takes on the taste, an acid flavor that seeps out with the brain's perception of terror, he was saying. The large light overhead was soft, and yet still it hurt his eyes. Careful preparation is essential. His eyes fluttered, but his body was still. His legs felt a thousand miles away, as if no longer attached. His body was cold. His arms did not respond. Will tried to speak, but his throat muscles refused. No time for screaming. He had heard people talk about out-of-body experiences, floating from your skin to observe everything that happened, almost as if it were happening to someone else. Will had always wondered if it was less a religious experience and more a built-in escape plan, an emergency exit for the mind when the body was too terrible a place to be. Only he was sure he would have felt it by now, a lightness of being, an escape, a way out. Surely by now he would have felt himself float free. No exit. No escape. No easy way out for you. Just reality kicking in. A blunt hit to the face. And that face, from exit stage left, spoke his lines. I'd like to taste that. The lion's voice, rough and hoarse and rumbling. The players in their places, and he between them. The unknown guest. Why are you here, Will? It asked him. What have you done? He wanted to turn. He needed to see. Will tried to remember the wavering near past, almost present. It evaded his grasp, a scrap of paper in the wind. Hands on him. His neck. Twisted, bleeding. His head light. My gun. He remembered blearily. They didn't take my gun. As one who has never tasted fear, I would not deny you. Hannibal said, tipping his head to the right as his left hand snapped inside the glove. A unique experience must be savored, even if the meal itself is unsavory. Then they were on him, like a spider sensing its prey as the silk lines were tugged, maroon eyes sharp with playfulness. 
Hannibal smiled at him gently. Don't you agree, Will? He was asked. Then the eyes skipped up to the dragon as he loomed forwards. Will could make out shaggy blonde hair, sharp blue eyes, and a mouth that seemed split open. Will has always understood the need for violence, only I find he has a difficult time appreciating it. Will stared as his vision began to clear. He tried to feel, tried to lift his head, even if all he could think of was, Were you putting the knife down? Were you pulling it right? Is this full circle, Hannibal? Is this the end of the cyclical run? Would I ever have been able to escape? Eleanor, Will managed to soft, <gasps> a sound of an animal in pain, all alone. You left her. You left me. I left you. Everyone leaves. Will blinked slowly as the pain welled. Ellie, please forgive me, honey. Maybe someday you'll know what it means to love someone enough to risk everything. Maybe. God, I hope you do. I hope you can. Because I can't stand that you might hate me for the rest of... Suddenly, Lecter held a pair of shining scissors in his hand. Carefully, he could feel him cut, could feel the cold metal against his abdomen, and hear the shear of cloth shorn. Down his arms, along his chest, up through the neckline. A slight chill to his skin as Hannibal cut his shirt and jacket, through his holster, peeling him out of it like a ripe fruit. He heard his pistol placed aside on a metal surface, and his heart rate picked up. Confusion. Remembering lying back as Hannibal undressed him carefully, while Will laughed low in his throat. Oh? Hannibal had asked as he pulled open Will's shirt, his fingers tracing the skin. I always find you laughing at inappropriate moments. Do you find this amusing? Prurient, Will had said between the sounds. Chastely purient, purient, Will had said between the soft sounds. Chastely purient, just like you. A feeling like tearing of cloth or your mind? Will couldn't answer because he couldn't stop thinking. I'm going to die here. Right here in this lonely place. I'm going to die here. The thought stuck, bottled up, and all others rising like hazy webs on a hot breeze. It was a showstopper. A stop show. Oh God, oh God, please! Jack. Will wondered, closing his eyes as unconscious tears formed and spilled. What would Jack think when he found him? Would Hannibal display him? Would he become a twisted artwork in the doctor's resume? What you be about a Celli or a Leonardo? He hoped he was at least something tasty. His mind swam, seemed to waste otherwise. There was a pause. Eyes open once more. The dragon leaned closer, his eyes coming into Will's bleary focus. They locked together, and Will wished he could look away. Hunger and pain. He saw it deep inside, behind the blocked-up wall of utter dissonance and the dragon's stare. Is there something you acquire? Hannibal asked clinically. He does not know you were right. The dragon spoke. His breath was hot and heavy, slightly putrid. Will wished he could gag as it washed over his face. I want to make him understand. It is a human need, Hannibal said, reaching out with a gloved hand to stroke Will's hair, the gloves sticky against the strands. And one must always follow their needs. Despite his incapacitation, Will could feel his panic physically manifest. His chest moved up and down, then faster, more rapid as his breathing heightened in alarm. The dragon lunged with the speed and ferocity of a bear, taking hold of him by the right shoulder, shaking him. The pain was dull, but Will could feel the metal pins that held his shattered clavicle together grind around as the age-old bullet wound lit up like a Christmas tree. The damage done by the shotgun shone through. Something had been opened up. 
Well thought he might have frozen completely. His eyes widened in fear. You'll let him, he thought in panic, as he held Hannibal's stare. Jesus, you'll let him! A set of teeth, like mangled talons, emerged from behind ruined lips, to the unpleasant sound of two pieces of meat being peeled apart. A slight sensation ran through his nerves. He could feel the air against his shoulders, enough to make Will's jaw slack. Fuck. Jesus, fuck! Eyes skipping back and forth, between the man atop him and the man who watched from above, eyes alight with the light. He couldn't see the dragon as he leaned in, and it made his nerves sing. He couldn't see where he was going, just the side of his head disappearing out of sight. When the dragon bit into Will's right pectoral, Will wished he could scream. All that emerged was a strangled choke as his neck muscles strained on impulse. His blood rushed, and he wished he believed that they wouldn't make this long and slow. He hadn't expected it, the intensity of the pain, as everything had felt so muted and dulled. A white-hot agony and pressure as the man crunched down, almost splitting through the skin. The elasticity pulling and stretching, and then a horrifying, tearing feeling, filled with a gush all of its own. Tell me, Lecter asked, as Will panted through his nose and the red-hot liquid flowed out and down. Did your heart race when you killed Miss Lowndes? Will watched the dragon pull back into view, licking at his teeth and lips. The gore mixed with stringy saliva. A beaded, red strand dangled from his chin. Will stared at the ceiling, blinking. Must be a way out, as the agony pulsed. Must be a way out. Think, 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 think! Pain was a motivator. Will knew it. Had known and understood just how true it was ever since he'd been a cop before his work at the FBI. The threat of pain was a demotivator. It made people freeze. Made them sink down to the ground. Made them fearful. He'd seen it in robberies. Hold-ups. Most times, the threat of a gun or a knife was all it took to have someone crumble. But the application of pain, that was a different story. It made people want to lash back. She was not worthy of a true death, the dragon slurred, wiping his mouth on his sleeve. She understood in the end what it was to know me. Do you, Dr. Lecter? I am always open to new experiences, much as you yourself. Hannibal smiled, with the right side of his mouth, as he placed the scissors down with a soft clink. Knowledge is power, and power is entirely arbitrary. He who has it, has it. He who does not, is at the bottom of the food chain. Knowledge allows us. Hannibal once more found Will's lifeless gaze. To recognize our design. The light hurt. His chest hurt. His nerves rang like church bells, jangling his mind. And yet... Hannibal stared at him as he spoke. It was too difficult to look away, even as he seethed and the dragon paced by his side. Do you see? Will wanted to ask. Do you see? You must understand, Hannibal said, eyes still upon him, that blood and breath are only elements undergoing change to fuel your radiance, just as the source of light is burning. Burning cleanses, the dragon growled. This monster doesn't deserve to be cleansed. Lounge begged for it in the end, to be saved. This one, huh? He's the kind of man that sits on a perch and dangles his toes in the black water before drying off his feet when he feels like it. Will listened as Dolarahide grew agitated, out of sight, so much worse when he couldn't see him. It was fear, pure fear. Will wished he could see him, his footsteps thumping and his breath huffing. She's nothing but a churlish little hypocrite. When Will looked right, Lecter was gone. Will blinked and tried to move his head. 
the slightest movement, the smallest pull of muscle. It didn't help, but the control over his body, however small, made his heart slow somewhat with calm. What appeared when Lecter returned undid the effect. When I was placed in the Baltimore State Asylum, Hannibal said, inspecting a bright scalpel in his right hand, as if it were a rare bird, I would often fall into my own fantasies, a place all of my own, with which to follow any whim, an escape, one might say. It could be posited that I was more free there than I had ever been outside of a cage. And yet there is always something missing from pure thought, a need for physical motion, the resistance of another's force, the feeling of reality that comes from just the right amount. Once again he stared at Will. Of pressure on the skin. Do you know, Will, how much it takes? Of course you do. One hundred pounds per square inch before the cutis ruptures. There was a familiar feel, a sense of deja vu, when Hannibal lifted Will's left hand with his own, interlacing their fingers. Will stared at him, stared at him as he stared at Will's hand. A niggling sense of tenderness hid in Hannibal's eyes. The pale line that had always been on his ring finger was no longer visible, tanned over by the hot Miami sun. I miss the little things, Hannibal almost whispered, just loud enough. The memories of our life together. Do you still own it? he asked, stroking his finger gently. Or did you throw it into the ocean? I wonder. I wish I could give you back the time that was stolen from us. But it is impossible. You left me there, dearest. Left me to rot. Maybe, he thought, as the pain screamed and Hannibal sliced into the flesh of his ring finger. Maybe it was always meant to be this. Will closed his eyes and felt the scalpel wrap around, cutting through delicately once at the base, again and again and again. The pain was almost secondary, through the misting fever of the moment. His throat choked in an involuntary sympathy for his nerves as they were slit through. Saliva spat up onto his face, feeling the aching panic that came from restriction of breath. "'Would you?' Hannibal asked Alarahide politely. The dragon looked momentarily reluctant, though he did as Hannibal asked, holding Will's hand up to the air to allow Hannibal a more dexterous cut. Will was forced to watch as Lecter stripped the skin between the slim incisions, carving out the ring that was lost. Part of his brain spasmed. His eyes blinked. The signal became confused. The red-hot fire at his chest, hit by the agony lacing from his hand. A confused muddle of pain resulted, dizzyingly, in its effect. He felt his mouth puffing feebly as he tried to take in gulps of air, trying to bank the pain from overflowing. The skin was removed, leaving a bloody strip leaking down onto his knuckles. For a split second, Will remembered where he'd put it, the white gold wedding ring he hid from himself, in the box of things he wanted to give Eleanor when she was old enough, a horrifying disconnect of present and possible future. You love him, even as he... And yet... Beneath it all, he found the experience laced with the vivid knowledge that all the pain, all of the agony, it was intense enough for one thing. He could feel it. It jarred with the memory of the needle, pushed up tight into his armpit. Whatever Hannibal had given him was wearing off. Will watched Lecter lean in and place the tip of his tongue against the stream of bright red blood flowing from the wound at his hand, tasting him. Because this is all a lie. It always has been. Everything was always a lie between us, wasn't it? Warm apple brandy. Hannibal smiled, putting Will's arm down with little care, when the fingers twitched softly against the metal slab. There was always a potency to you, darling. An unrealized potency. 
Did you know we were married once? He said, speaking to the dragon. Still are, in fact. Perhaps it will make our forgiveness all the simpler. You forgave me, darling. Now it is time I forgave you. I believed you. My own foolish hope. Is it foolish? Or did I even care? Will felt like laughing, if he could have. I remember the day you promised me everything. Did you love me then? Maybe love isn't even the word. Not for us. We held each other tight enough to kill. Putting the knife down. Picking it up. Pulling it right. Will had often suffered a reoccurring nightmare, not long after moving to Miami. Holding Hannibal from behind. The man reciprocal in his grasp. Will angry and struggling and holding the bread knife tightly to his throat. And it would ask him, What do you do next? Until now, Will had always awoken before he was forced to answer. Only now, that same question was coming into play. What do you do next, Will Graham, when the knife is put in your hand? Is it a freeing quality, I wonder? Hannibal mused aloud as the scalpel descended once more. Will watched it as far as his eyes would allow, and was forced to imagine the rest of its descent towards his chest. My remarkable darling, I do admire your courage. I think I'll eat your heart. Please! He managed to force his throat and lips to communicate as his arm twitched. Hannibal looked at him, seemingly thrilled. Will, my darling, he said, even as he continued with his work. You always were a fighter. Oh! The first cut came, at his right shoulder, two inches above the white crater of the bullet's path, and descended at a precise forty-five-degree angle towards his collarbone. Oh, God! God. Shh, now. It'll be all right as long as you don't struggle. Warm, soft, and deep, the cut rode down through flesh and one long line of unreality. Almost too much to understand. He'd seen it, his first year in the academy. An autopsy, fresh and red. The Y incision had been like a zipper on a pencil case. Enough to open up and see the human beast as it really was. A series of tubes and wires carrying what was needed, pumping organs and prothean cells, changing and realigning. He had been one of the three in the group that didn't throw up. Now he wasn't capable of doing little else but choke out pathetic half-screams and wonder what will they see when they open me. Tar and black pitch? Coal where my heart should be? The cut stopped, but the unconscionable agony remained, and Will knew he was twitching like a fish on a line as all his nerves fired at once. A furnace for his stomach? Then the scalpel reappeared at his left shoulder, sledding through in a symmetrical fashion until it joined the first, all industrial workings, mechanical where there should be organic. Hannibal's eyes were alight as he watched them. Will felt his own go out of focus. His brain felt as if it sparked, fritzing on and off, in and out. Shock was setting in. He couldn't comprehend the pain. No, 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 no. Please, he said almost on instinct, blinking long and slow. God? Praying to God. The suches and so forth that come with religion. Hannibal leaned back to survey his work. Personally, I have always been a slave to the philosophy of self. Relying upon a higher power, or a lower one for that matter, takes the power from our own hands. God does not dole out fancy flattery in the shape of miracles, though it gives solace to ripped minds to think that he does. God, Dolorahide said with a snuff of a sneer. Everyone has their own God. Beside him, Will could feel Dolorahide's pacing, a subdued power, flashing as it came into contact with Lecter's own. 
His body felt alive with thrumming nerves, all screaming for attention. Wake up, Will Graham. Wake up and smell the roses. The world rushed at an accelerated rate as he felt the blood run like mass deltas down over his chest. Die here. I'm going to. A succinct truth, Lecter said, inclining his head to Dolorahide even as he watched him carefully, blood-rimmed scalpel in his hand. Perhaps deification itself is potency, and potency is our own realization that the truth is the most important aspect of any moment, even if that truth is a lie. And his throat and his voice and his lips and his brain seemed to fuse together, as the world shuddered in and out of perception. Whatever drug still held him made the agony curve and twist, but never debilitate. It felt like falling, and Will didn't know how long he could keep a hold of the world around him. Will Graham smiled as he spoke. Do you f feel y your p potency, Francis? Don't call me that, the dragon erupted, slamming his hands against the metal slab and thrusting himself forward aggressively at Will. Lecter watched, seeming happily surprised with the turn of events. Will knew it would be charmingly unexpected. You can't call me that! Oh? He laughed and wheezes through his esophagus. <sighs> My ap apologies, self-image is important. Shut up! You're, you're wasting breath and time! Both of you are with all this talking! She talked, oh she talked, and then she betrayed me, just like all the rest. Talking is for those without motion. The monster is going to change. We are going to change him. Understand me? He shouted, taking Will by the hair and shaking his head roughly until he gasped. Quite. Hannibal raised his eyebrow, putting down his scalpel next to Will's hand. He knew because he could feel the small, hard edge of the handle by his index finger. Though I must admit, I agree with Will. I feel it is better to accept oneself rather than hide behind another. Shaz one who hid! The dragon spat nationally. You hid, Dr. Lecter, and all your beauty behind this filthy pig. Played house until you were more caged than you were in the asylum. Such language, Hannibal said, eyes sharp. Perhaps it is difficult for you to understand, though I would believe that possible. People assume the worst, Dolora Haidt said, his voice calming momentarily from its guttural war. When they see what they want to see. I don't need you to tell me what they assume when they see Francis Dolora Hyde. Poor little cunt face. That's what. They're blind, just like most. Then back it came, that gravelly tone. Just like that blind whore. Betray all is the... Will took a long, slow, pained breath, and for two quick pauses, almost hyperventilated. The pain was grinding, the twin wound back and forth the top of the Y shifting against his chest. Most intimate of wounds. It's not a wound, Dolora Hyde bit back. I will not carry it around with me. She will know soon enough. Once I have changed you, Graham, she'll be the next to know. There was a smell in the air, perfumed but bitter. Will thought he could breathe it in, sense it as it filled his lungs. Hannibal's scent. He closed his eyes for a few seconds, savoring the sheer terror of the act, of not knowing where the players stood, or what their next direction might be. The scalpel stayed right by his hand. One chance, one chance. But to change another, one must understand oneself first of all, 
Hannibal continued. I know who I am, Delara Hyde snarled. To speak frankly, I am not so sure, Lecter said, sounding like a teacher talking to a recalcitrant pupil after class. You were never allowed to know, were you? Never taught what the gifts you have are outside of your own understanding of them. What are you talking about? Your delusional schizophrenia, Lecter said, as Will softly shimmied his hand over the scalpel, twitching the handle to the right spot. Surely you noticed. You don't understand, the dragon said, as if what he was hearing was too far beyond belief. I thought you, you would, you told me. Tensing his arm muscles responded well. Will kept his breathing as even as he could, even as it skipped about like a kernel in a popcorn pot. One chance, only one chance. Oh, I see you feel you are the one with the questions and the answers both. How can you be so sure what I told you, Francis, when you cannot even tell who you are? Quiet! The dragon sounded incandescent with rage, enough to have him slough out his words past a wall of saliva and teeth. You need to be quiet, little boy! And amidst it all, Will lay, deep in a memory, a memory so expertly buried that at first it would not come out. Memories kept safe and locked away, and not needed, except for when he'd known they would be. The sight of Garrett Jacob Hobbs' grinning face, the gun kicking back in his hands, held steady and strong as he felt the welling, angry, hot, slick satisfaction of taking the man's life from him, just as he had taken others as Will watched him crumple into the corner of his kitchen cabinets, leaking life, and die. See? he had whispered. You see? And Will saw. I see, Hannibal said, tipping his head. Much deeper than I had suspected. Still, the possibility that you are more than just your run-of-the-mill was always a draw. Little boy, is that what she would say to you, Francis? Hannibal asked, eyes steady. Would she send you to your room and tell you that was what happened to bad little boys? Would she turn out the lights and ignore your cries? That's not what grandmother should do, is it? Shh, shh, shut up! You don't know her! You don't understand! Seeing was so much more than just understanding. Right, Will? You know you saw me because I could see you right back, buddy. No more a man than I was. No more a meek little man. We saw, didn't we? We knew what it meant to feel that squirming pulse in our hands and snuff it out like a candle's flames. We saw and we knew what had to be done. Did she make you wait, Francis? Did you wait in the dark for her? Wait for her to come to you and teach you what happened to naughty little boys who couldn't respect their betters? What happened to greedy little alphas that don't play by the rules? Quiet! The dragon roared. Did she mock you? Was it dirty little boys? Don't get loved. They get it cut right off. She treated you like filth, didn't she? But you emulated her even as you despised her. Will watched as Hobbs' grin turned to Hannibal's calm smile. I missed you. You left me. We left each other to rot. And I never knew if I was truly alone, or just falling apart, or already fallen. A world built only for us. Did you love her? Hannibal asked the dragon calmly, and Will thought he could feel Hannibal's question strike deep into his being, asking him for the truth, even as she hurt you. Who is it that you see when you look at me? Am I a mirror or a blank frame? Does the Mockingbird mock as it imitates? The scalpel was tight in his fist. Or does the imitation seep deeper? Does it go beyond the walls and down into the cracks? As the dragon launched himself at Lecter, across Will on the table and the tight-holding fist, there was a terrible moment of understanding. Do you love me, darling? 
Lecter reached up and grabbed Alarhide by the hair at the back of his head, pulling sharply to unbalance him, just as Will, using what little was left of his strength, jerked his muscles tight and bent his arm at the elbow. He didn't truly feel the scalpel enter the skin, but the slick, oily blood that gushed out over his hand. He felt that, and the unbelievable feeling of the flaps of the skin at his chest, opening at that moment, the muscles praising the air like a prostrate sinner. He felt the first of the resistance as he achingly pulled down on the blade, feeling it slice keenly through skin, and by God the awful retching, gurgling sound as Dolorahide wrestled and flopped in Lecter's grasp. And Will pulled and pulled and pulled, and felt the spray jetting out in gouts, up over his arms, hitting his face, until his hand was so thick with gore that he could no longer keep his grip on the thin scalpel and it slipped away. It sounded like boiling water sputtering out through a slim, slit spout. The last of Francis Dolarahide. It guttered out with every spasm of his huge body, suspended above like a grotesque puppet. Blood poured down, a hot, wet want of life over Will's bare abdomen. Gaping eyes still stared, still aware, down from under shaggy hair and above the open red lines of flesh. Lips hung open to show the wavering maw of uneven teeth, dripping strings. You see, the eyes said as they dimmed, you see me, don't you, Will? You see yourself, my little mongoose. Hannibal let go. Dolorahide slumped forwards onto Will, his heavy weight twitching and seizing and jerking like an electrocution. The pain became enough that the edges of his vision dimmed. Please don't let me slip. Please fucking please! He wished it was in a daze that he watched Hannibal reach down, putting his crooked elbows under Dolorahide's armpits and lifting the man without much effort. Instead, it was with a calm yet regretful fascination. Will watched as Dolorahide was revealed to him once more, like a proud gift, all of his power gone. His neck was exposed beneath his heavy head, hung open with savage slices, once, twice, three times, a white show of esophagus nestled inside. He had cut deeply, more than he realized, and the scalpel was still stuck inside, through the carotid artery, poking out and run with red, the blood flowing down its length in a constant gush like a kettle spout. Dolarahide which pushed back in a crumpling thump down towards the floor, his hands flowing up into the air, being all Will saw of his descent. His heart was a calm beat, one and two and three and four. No rapid regret, no fast-paced unhappiness. Will Graham lay upon the slab, right hand coated in the last of another's life, his left hand and chest in fiery pain, his neck itching and burning, his breath long and slow, and struggled to lick his lips. The taste came back slightly metallic. All he could see was Hannibal, sprayed fully up his right side with bright red blood, splattered up onto his chin and nose. Will had never seen him look more genuinely unadulterated since they had met. Well he said, hands clasped and face alight with playful satisfaction, eyes tight on Will's as he smiled. Was it good for you, too? The next half an hour passed in a bizarre daze. Hannibal gave him some clear liquid and a clear syringe, which Will was in no state to resist. When the pain began to recede, then dilute to a warm glow, he knew it must be morphine or the like. Will allowed Hannibal to tend to his wounds with the calm that followed trauma like a bad smell. The man was soft, gentle and professional in his movements. The bike on his chest was cleaned and swabbed with saline from a pack in a large box, marked Kevin's only, hands off. Then some gauze placed over the top and stuck down with micropore. The ripped stitches at his throat were removed and replaced with a steady hand. 
Will watched in the mirror he found on the wall to his right, as Hannibal tied off each stitch with the grace of an orchestra conductor. As Hannibal carefully bandaged his finger, finding some nepotel to stop the material sticking to the raw, exposed muscle, he found he couldn't look away. The beginnings of the Y were carefully cleaned and stitched back together. Will lay still, and through hazy eyes, watched Hannibal work. Hannibal did not clean the blood from Will's right hand and arm, nor his face. Will thought, through his blinking stare at Lecter's movements, that the man must be enjoying the evidence of his sacrifice. Eventually, as Hannibal tied off the final stitch, Will spoke, "'Someone would think you were afraid I'd forget about you.' His voice was weak and croaky, but stronger than it had been. The blank tone was obvious enough through the muted words. Hannibal continued his work, looking up only once to find Will's eyes. After he was done, Hannibal reached out and helped Will to sit up. Somewhere in the back of his mind, he knew that was a bad idea, but couldn't complain. It was only then that Will realized how cold he was without his shirt. "'You misunderstand my intent,' Hannibal said, his arm around Will's back as he kept him steady. "'You like to give me scars I can't mistake for any other.' If you'd like, I could do the same, Hannibal said with a small, facetious smile as he lifted his left hand. We could match. Oh. <laughs> Will laughed emptily, bitterly, even as he leaned into the embrace. I see. Or I don't see. No. You want me to f figure it out, is that it? You try me, don't you? Always trying little bites. Did you? He trailed off, blinking as his head swam and his world dimmed. Hannibal held him gently until he regained his senses. Did you know? Know what, dearest? That Delara Hyde would come and f find you if you wriggled your way out of Chilton's pen? If I simply told you, where would be the fun in that? You always were one to enjoy watching people. Dance. Will managed to look up as the arm disappeared. Hannibal was rummaging in a set of tall lockers. The first and second were opened and their contents discarded, but in the third he found a soft blanket. Will stayed still, swaying slightly, and allowed Hannibal to place it around his shoulders gently. Sitting upon the edge of the slab, legs dangling above the ground, deep in the warmth of Hannibal and his effluvious scent, Will Graham looked down to his toes to find the body of his victim. You always did fall chill so quickly, Hannibal said, rubbing at Will's arms through the blanket. Everything, Will said softly. All of it for this. Not just for this, Hannibal said, tipping his head even as he kept his eyes on his task. You wanted me to find you. It was imperative that I know, Hannibal said, sniffing once, whether your realization had become or unbecome. Real... Realize? Will clamped his mouth shut and let out a deep, hmm. The nausea was rolling in, building up behind his gullet. Meta. Anti-meta. Hannibal was already searching. He was given something, unsure as to what, intravenous, straight into the... Better. Don't know yet. The same as most parts of you that I treasure. Would you say you are hiding, Will? No. Of course you wouldn't. Moving closer, Hannibal stood by him, 
palm of his hand soft and warm against his back beneath the blanket. Will leaned his head to the right, feeling it against soft cotton. You would have, wouldn't you? I find there is no point in focusing on woulds or shoulds, just haves and have-nots, did and did-nots. Our philosophies are, are divergent. Hannibal? Hmm? Did you want to watch me kill him? I would say it was a joint effort. His eyes lifted slowly as his head felt heavy as he brought it up, his shoulders cold but lacking in the ache, his chest tight but lacking in the blinding pain. Yet the pain itself lingered, a memory hard to handle. Will looked shakily to his right, into maroon eyes. Hannibal held him close. Together. Would you rather I impress upon you the fact that it was most certainly your kill? You don't need to, Will said quietly. That is good to know, Hannibal smiled. No. Will shook his head as he looked away. No, it isn't. It was quiet. Over the sound of voices and the pain roaring in his ears, and the blood rushing and gushing, and the flip-flopping of wet flesh, Will had forgotten what a dead silence there was all around them. It seemed serene, and yet ultimately isolating. The scent and the shock had fooled him. As he came from the low high, Will realized just where he was. His shock made way for the bluntness. So, are you going to finish it? I appreciate the challenge of figuring out your intent, but I must admit, even I need a hint now and again. Kill me. I feel you owe me that much. Is that a hypothetical question? I don't ask in hypotheses. I do not wish to kill you, Will. I prefer lies of omission to outright lies, Dr. Lecter. Don't lie to me. When he opened his mouth, Will watched him. Hannibal closed it slowly and smiled. He rubbed Will's arms brusquely once more, as if the caring gesture was a distraction from his desecration. It was never as simple as killing you. Were you going to honor me? Will asked dryly, feeling his voice crack. Hannibal cupped his face, looking into his eyes. Forgive you, darling. I was going to forgive you. Laughter was the only response. Long, slow, grating, hateful laughter. Will knew he was watched as his shoulders shook, and the rough sound emanated from his throat. How did it all fall down to this? How can something be so beautiful and so ugly at the same time? Well, how should I persuade you? Hannibal continued as Will's laughter frittered and died. Think of it like this. Animals see the world in shades of tone, because it makes the world survivable. You can see the predators move through the contrasts of dark and light. You know when night turns to day. It is a serviceable life, but to make it truly worth living, I wish to see the color in the trees and fruits upon the branches, the myriad shades of blue and green in the sea, the small sheen of a rainbow in the spray, just as the light hits. Lecter stopped, watching him closely. I realized many years ago that you bring color to my world, more vivid than any other, when you realize your potential. Shut up. Will, I told you to shut up. Will said tightly through a swallow and a frown. It was a while until he could speak again, through another dizzy spell. He was forced to swallow down a bout of bile retching up into his throat. Hannibal kept to Will's demand and did not speak. After you were gone, I felt so betrayed by you. So much so that betrayal became the only thing that felt real to me. Soon, I felt betrayed by everyone. Everything became unreal. Your world is narrow, right down to the bare bones meat of it all. Narrow enough to meet your needs and no one else's. What am I? A distraction from the tedium? Maybe. 
will stop to chuff out a pained laugh. Who knows? Maybe you didn't kill when we were together. Or maybe you were just more careful when you were with me because you didn't want to lose that. Is that what? He stopped, swallowing long and hard. Hannibal hadn't interrupted. You know, he was afraid once. You remember the night I told you that I was pregnant? I had this thought. It seemed stupid at the time, so I didn't dwell on it. I was scared that our futures might not be the same. Only now I know I was looking in the wrong place. It was our love that doesn't follow the same rules. I doubt love is so definable as to have rules. Hannibal argued. Oh, not specific ones, just general rules. Will said, staring blankly ahead. You know, not taking perverse pleasure in their pain, or fearing the loss of entertainment at their deaths. I see your inappropriate sense of humor has not left you. I'm sitting above an eviscerated corpse with my cannibal husband. Will shrugged. Can't think of a better time to lighten the mood. Eviscerate means disembowel, darling. Semantics, Will said coldly. My, this is civil. Are we to talk now of teacups and time and the rules of disorder? The memory was a cruel one, though Will knew he was perhaps to blame for being the first to touch on the subject. The night they had finally felt complete, with the small life blossoming inside him, and their lives stretching out towards the unknown horizon. Only now the horizon had been reached, and Will could almost hate himself for finding it. If you could have left well enough alone, the search could have continued on and on and... Will stopped himself, closed his eyes and opened them. The corpse remained at his feet in its pool of crimson. His love stayed slit through like the throat with its secret parts exposed. His life remained stabbed with pockmarked moments so dark he could barely see them. Nothing goes back together without showing the cracks. The teacup's broken, Will said quietly, lips moving as if finding it difficult to say the words. It's never going to gather itself back together again. Not even in your mind? Hannibal asked. Your memory palace is building. I know it has. It's... it's full of new things. We share rooms together. Many wonderful places. I have found you there, with your every wish fulfilled. Victorious. When it comes to you and me, there can be no decisive victory. We are in zero-sum game. I... miss you. He could not say it, even if it were true. Because this is what it is, Will thought. What it will always be. A game. And if there was no winner, the only way to win was not to play. Lifting his heavy hands, Will gathered the blanket tight and held it closed across his bruised and broken chest. When he found Hannibal's eyes, they were wary. He spoke slowly and with purpose. I miss my daughter. I miss my dogs. I miss the sound of the ocean. I miss waking up and making pancakes. I miss living without regret, Will said. Hannibal's face barely moved, yet his eyes seemed to show the emotion he was not willing to voice. But I'm not going to miss you. You're going to leave, and I'm going to stay here until they come and do what they do best. Hannibal's eyes and face did not move, and yet it was obvious to one who knew him well. The hurt showed through. I'm not going to find you. I'm not going to look for you. I don't want to know where you are or what you do. I don't want to think about you anymore. There was a soft pause, through which years of undiluted hate and love seemed to float. Finally, Hannibal spoke, his voice calm yet desperate. You delight in wickedness, and then berate yourself for the delight. You delight. I tolerate. Will explained plainly, feeling the drying blood on his skin. I don't have your appetite. Hannibal opened his mouth to speak. Will beat him to it. Goodbye, Hannibal. It was an odd sensation. 
He could almost believe it was unreal, if it weren't for the aches and pains, both without and within. Because it hurt, far more than it should have, to watch Hannibal believe him. Believe that Will did not want him to be a part of his world. Not even a speck on his radar. Not even a letter through his mail or a memory in his mind. Not there at all. Not once. Not ever before. Not ever again. For a mad, selfish, vicious moment, Will was tempted to open his mouth and take it all back. Hannibal looked so terribly stricken. Instead, he stayed stock still. Their paths were there, in front of them, as Will watched sightlessly. He took the right path, while Hannibal stood back, blink-eyed, took off his gloves, took a thin brown jacket from one of the lockers, put it on quickly and efficiently, and took the left path. Will didn't see the point in pretending it wasn't the worst pain he'd felt that day. He watched until he heard the door close at the end of the corridor, before letting his chin fall down against his chest. The culmination of their journey. When Clarice Starling found Will Graham, he was seated in the back of an ambulance, with a paramedic on one side checking his eyes for concussion, and a CSI on the other taking samples of blood and fibers from his skin and clothes. She waited, partly because she didn't want to interrupt, and partly because she was worried about asking why they were running procedure on Graham. He looked like hell. She didn't want to look in case she saw too far down the cracks. She picked up on the next best thing. I need to get him to ward ASAP, the second paramedic was arguing with a nearby cop, who Starling recognized. Lieutenant Fogel looked tired, but somewhat vindicated. His tanned, leathery skin contrasted with his thick, brown mustache, and, without his hat, his bald patch glistened with sweat. He nodded to Starling as she approached. Thanks, Melinda, but I'm sure he'll be out of my hair and in yours soon enough. Fogel said, nodding to Starling. Just clear this up quick, the medic said angrily. My patient needs urgent care. She left a bad taste in the air, mainly because Starling knew she was keeping him here against medical advice. What did they do to you? She decided someone else should answer that question. Made it easier to bear. Got here quick, Fogel said, fanning himself with a folded-over R95 report sheet. Yeah, she said, not elaborating. It's not a far drive from the hospital. How long since you found him? No more than half an hour. Paramedics said they wanted him carted off to the local. I made sure to keep him here till you showed. Don't want to step on anyone's toes, you understand? Sure, she said through a smile that went nowhere near her eyes. Could you walk me through what you found? I'd like to be up to speed. And so he did. She followed him into the long, low building and was shown to the blood-soaked crime scene. Francis Delarahide lay face down on the floor by an oversized metal operating table. Fogel lifted him so she could see his face and neck. Don't worry, we got photos, he said. He showed her the Winchester shotgun they'd recovered, as well as the one spent shell and the pistol, each placed in sealed evidence bags. Clarice listened and absorbed and tried not to react too badly to Fogel's version of events, because for her, they sounded very likely. Which was too bad, really, because the thought of Wilgram killing anyone was enough to make her want to slap him hard enough to see stars. She decided to wait until there were no witnesses. Honestly, Vogel said. Thought he was a right jackass when we first met, but anyone with guts enough to do that's got my respect. Graham's taken another monster off St. Louis's radar. I can live with that. It was easy to pretend to agree. 
She didn't want to start a fight about police procedure and the semantics of lawful self-defense. It would be too damning. When she returned to air that did not reek of iron and fear and miscalculation, Will was alone, still sitting, legs out the back of the ambulance, under a large, soft-looking blanket, which he held tightly with his left hand. She noted the neat bandage upon it and wondered what lay underneath. When she approached, she saw the stitches at his throat were fresh, and the skin beneath them was turning ugly with a large bruise. This time, she didn't sit down. You okay? He took a moment to react. Finally, under the flashing lights and amidst the sound of CSIs talking and radios going and police yawning, Will looked up. He didn't meet her eyes. His own stare fell somewhere around her throat. No, he said succinctly. You? No. That makes two of us, then. Where's Lecter, Will? Don't know. He was here, wasn't he? Maybe. If you're lying, we'll find out. Was he here? I don't remember, he said blankly, finally meeting her gaze. I'm confused. She hated that she didn't believe him. Clarice found the paramedic and pulled him aside. Give me the rundown on Graham, she said sternly. Okay, uh, severe bruising at his throat and shoulder. Someone bit him. Clarice winced as the paramedic pointed to his chest. Here, broke the skin. We've given him antibiotics. His shoulder's shot, crossing my fingers that it's just dislocated. The wound at his neck looks like it was reopened due to trauma, but it's been restitched. The most serious is the incision on his chest. He looked at her as if gauging how much she had expected to hear. Looks like someone was trying to open him up. Open? Yeah. Standard autopsy Y incision. They got two-thirds of the way through and stopped. It's a textbook cut, but hell if I haven't seen anything so precisely done since I was at med school. And it's been cleanly patched up. Pretty damn impressive, considering the depth. Starling could imagine it. Lecter gently tying the bandage around Will's hand, cinching the stitches at his throat, cutting the incisions into his flesh, and it made her skin itch. We also found an incision on his left hand beneath the bandage. And of course, he's a little dehydrated from the shock and has a bad case of hypertension. Blood pressure's on the rocks. But he is an omega, so that's to be expected, considering. I want to take him in as soon as possible for monitoring and to get that Y wound seen to. Is he on anything? Drugs? We won't know for sure until we've run a tox on his blood. The medic shrugged. But if I was to guess, then, yeah. I think the slackness of his movement... His slow reaction speed to pain, and the slight dilation of his pupils could point to some sort of tranquilizer. If they didn't bring their own, I find people tend to improvise. This is a veterinary clinic. Someone could have used ketamine. It was a magic word. Clarice rubbed at her eyes and thanked the medic tiredly. Ketamine. If they found it in his blood, there was no way to say whether Will truly did not remember what had happened in the blood-soaked room, or was just unwilling to tell them the truth. When she returned to him, Will had his eyes closed. In the shifting lights beneath the blanket, he looked small and fragile. If she hadn't been so angry, she was sure she would have let him be. Gonna make us work for this, aren't you? I don't know what you mean, Will said, eyes still closed. The paramedic stood back as the coroner drove up, and she wondered, as she watched him, what it was that he saw when he looked Hannibal Lecter in the eye. The media had described Lecter as everything from a monster to Jack the Ripper to the devil himself. The gentleman Alpha with several dozen skeletons in his closet. Jack had painted Lecter as the most intelligent and complex psychopath he had ever encountered. 
Dr. Bloom as a betrayer, Dr. Chilton as a thorn in his paw. Since he'd met him, she'd tried to understand what appeared to Will when Lecter manifested himself. You told me once that if I ever felt like I was two steps ahead of Hannibal Lecter, she said walking closer, that I was to look up and find him waiting to strike. You know, I was thinking about a vacation, Graham said, ignoring her. You're staring at the floor, Will. Is this supposed to be some big resolution? You both fly free. He's not the sort of animal that does well out of a cage. Oh, I don't know about that. Will tilted his head and pursed his lips. Some beasts are not meant to be cage. Jack brought you in, too. Jack brought me in because he wanted a sacrifice. Will interrupted her when his eyes opened. Will stared straight ahead while the paramedics started closing up the ambulance. And that's what he got. Was this ever about stopping Dolarahide? Starling asked accusingly. Will stood as the medic helped him up and into the seat beside the gurney, belting him in. You killed him, Graham. You can't just walk away. That's not how this works. I think she'll like the ocean. Will finally met her gaze, a small smile gracing his blood-spattered face. Thank you, Clarice. I never said thanks, did I? We have to leave now, Agent Starling, the medic said to her as he stood by the door. Will, you have to tell me. Thank you for everything. Will, think about what you're doing. Please stand back, the medic cut in. Will! The door closed. Clarice was left amidst the bustling hive of the unaware. In amongst them, she felt like the woman who knew too much. Because Will Graham was throwing away his sense of justice and morality, ridding himself of the ties that bound him, taking the easy way out. It was enough to turn her stomach, even as she hated him for it, because he was doing all the wrong things for the wrong reasons, and... And in a startling moment, she knew it. It clicked slid into place. Oddly enough, the first thing she realized was that she no longer resented her father for what he had risked, because every day she had watched him walk out the door with his badge on his shirt and his gun at his hip, and worried that he wouldn't come home alive. He couldn't give that up for her, because he had done it for her, just as Will Graham was doing this for his daughter, letting go. Are you kidding? I truly hope you're kidding. His DNA is all over the crime scene. Jimmy Price, Graham's self-declared god of the print index, not only pulled his digits from the scalpel in Dolarahide's neck, but also got Lecter's prints from the inside of the latex gloves found on the autopsy table. The boys in the lab have recreated the kill and the angle of the lacerations. No reason for Dolarahide to keep his neck there for cutting, and there's latex residue on the back of his neck. The hairs are ripped. Purnell, head of the office of the Inspector General, stared at him through her wide, watery eyes and frowned at him through her tight lips. Jack felt like telling her to go shove her head up her ass. His job was in the fire anyway. Might as well go out with a bang. Years of kowtowing were all that staved off his need to tell his long-hated boss where to shove it. He watched as she leaned forward and crossed her hands on her desk. They killed him together. And none of that makes a blind bit of difference. Jack sighed. And you know why? No, but I know why you think so. I don't think so. I know so. So he's lawyered up. That only makes his guilt all the clearer. No, it's worse than that, Jack said, as if he were talking to a five-year-old. Will didn't call his lawyer. Will doesn't have a lawyer. He called the Lecter family, and they called their lawyers. 
considering all the evidence and the... Clint, Clinton Carraway. Jack had the satisfaction of seeing Purnell at least recognize the threat, sitting back into her chair and licking her lips. I'm sure you can bring them to mind, yes? You remember Hunt versus Thackeray? That was them. Triple homicide. We had all the evidence, witnesses, time scale, motive, all wrapped up, and they got us shot down in the flames of a couple technicalities and a misfiled report. The Figgis kidnapping? He got five months in a minimum security and only served one. That was them. They're great, guilty and innocent alike, if you can afford them. I thought Graham and the lectors weren't on speaking terms. Purnell tried her best to scrabble for whatever was left. So I heard. But hey, I guess people work in mysterious ways sometime. Christ, I should have known, she said, taking her thumbnail in her teeth. Graham always did know how to cover his own ass. No, Jack said, shaking his head. He's never known how to do that, and you know it. Hannibal's family do, and he was just lucky enough, or unlucky, depending on how you look at it, to get mixed up with them. Anyway, that's all secondary. You know that arresting him would be a mistake. Oh, she said, mouth like a sucked lemon. You want that headlight hanging over your head? Jack laughed incredulously. FBI Baltimore Act to jail victimized male Omega for self-defense kill? Or no, maybe, Inspector General makes stance clear on male Omega rights. This isn't political. It's always political. I know I'm preaching to the choir on that one. Look. Jack sat forward, feeling a little lightheadedly reckless. I fucked up. Fucked up big time. You want my job? Take it. Hell, I'll probably even thank you for it in a couple of months when my blood pressure hits normal for the first time in nine years and I stop having heart arrhythmias that scare the shit out of my cardiologist. But leave Will Graham alone. Man's been through enough. And Lecter? We got him once. We can get him again. He's not the type to stay subtle for long. Let someone else find Lecter. Well, with that attitude, maybe... She stopped as her phone began to ring shrilly. Purnell let out a sharp sigh and pulled it from her pocket, studying the screen. I have to take this. Purnell speaking? Yes? Uh-huh. I can be there in ten. Hang on. Jack? He looked up to find her with her hand over the phone. Her eyes were unusually clear. You might not believe me when I say this, but you've been nothing but gold for this unit. I'd hate to see you throw that all away for someone who doesn't have any respect for how we work. Think about that before you sign your life away for Will Graham, okay? She left him sitting, staring at his office, and trying to rationalize trading it all away for a broken man and his piss-poor attempts at playing by the rules. But then he remembered a pair of desperate eyes as he was held in the fierce grip with a knife to his throat, as Jack pointed his gun and tried to stop what he'd started and those eyes clouded by morphine and pain and tears as he'd explain why the last three years of his life had been a lie, and those eyes drugged and delusional as they begged him, Tell me what to do. Tell me what to do. Tell me what. And Jack remembered that he promised himself that he wouldn't throw away this one chance, because chances for redemption were few and far between. Take them while you can get them. The beeps were steady from the room down the hall. He lay in his bed, rolling his little pill cup. The drugs inside rattled around, ancillary feelings fighting through layers of tranquilizers and pain meds, things he didn't want to have to deal with. Will put the cup down on the table, 
drugs untouched. Time moves like a wave, Will thought, as he stared at the opposite wall, with its clock and its green paint. First time I was hospitalized. I killed a killer. Second, I was stabbed saving a life. Third, I shot a killer. Fourth, I saved a life. Now, fifth? Does it count for both, or do they all count as both? In the end, Will was sure the philosophical semantics wouldn't count for much. People judged on how the media reported. It all came down to how the FBI wanted to use him, as a hero or a scapegoat. Disinfectant, illness and old soup. The smell of hospital was drearily familiar, though it was a different ward altogether. It was barely distinguishable from any other he had ever visited. The most he could be grateful for was the individual room he'd been shipped into, an Omega perk. It was one of the few times he would ever bow to the benefits of his status. Yet still, the hospital-issue shirt was stiff and uncomfortable. It rubbed at his arm, at the burn which was now reaching the stage where all it did was itch. He had restless legs, but his ankle hurt every time he moved. His shoulder ached in its strict sling. His chest felt tight with the gauze strapped down and the bandages pulled too. His neck pulsed hotly as the bruises deepened. With his left hand, Will inspected himself, his stubble growing out just long enough to make him fit in perfectly on the streets by a cardboard box. At the very least, it covered the thick-lined scar on his right cheek. Mr. Graham? It was easy to ignore the doctor's voice. He'd heard enough medical jargon this last week to last him a lifetime. You have visitors. But those words had his attention, as did the familiar warm scent that accompanied them. Turning his head to find his plain, green doorway filled with everything he needed to see was more than overwhelming, so much that it was almost fairy tale like All he could do was put his left arm out as she was handed over in an awkward exchange of arms and legs and curled hair. Daddy, she said, so quietly that he was sure only he heard it as she clung to him. Sweetheart, he said, his voice pained. It would be the last conversation they would have for a long time. The agony was realized only as it was released, because trying to deal with it before he knew it had an ending would only have ruined him. The fear that had hounded him ever since he had stepped foot in that cab, ever since he'd run into that burning house, ever since he'd gone to Atlanta, Birmingham, ever since he'd agreed to deal with Lecter. The fear that he would never see her again. All underpinned by the greater fear, that he had never deserved to get her back in the first place. All this time fighting for her as you lost yourself, hating that you couldn't give her what she needed, but that you needed her regardless. Will closed his eyes and kissed his daughter's face, holding her close. Her hair tickled his nose. He didn't care. One of her hands was curled into a shirt and sling by his right shoulder, the other around his neck. It hurt, but somehow that only made it more vilifying. At least I know I'm not dreaming. Will felt like laughing. When he finally looked up, it was to find a mixed reception. Jack was easy to read. He was wearily, tight-lipped angry, underlined by a great big helping of job satisfaction and something resembling conscience. Beverly Katz looked relieved and shocked in equal measure, which he guessed was mostly at his appearance. And Alana Bloom looked blank, so much so that Will was unsure how to greet her. Will shifted Eleanor awkwardly until she was snugger against his side running his left hand down the back of her little, yellow, sleeveless summer dress. Will looked up and asked, Did anyone bring her coat? 
Three blank stares greeted him. Will was sure he was still the entrepreneur of utter impropriety. He took momentary solace in the thought, even as the words haunted him. I see your inappropriate sense of humor has not left you. Okay, Will said. Well, he thought, clearly, none of you have kids. Bev, could you pass me that? He clicked his fingers as he pointed to the chair by his bed, searching for the word. That, uh, blanket? Thanks. Here, Ellie. He put the blanket around her, one-handed, which was difficult as she refused to let go of him. That better? Ellie nodded, face pressed against his shirt. Will kissed the top of her head. He took a long sigh, mainly to draw on the familiar and calming scent of his pup, before looking up at the jury line. Do I get to ask questions before this all starts? He asked. Depends on the questions, Jack said, closing the door behind them. Don't hate me for going for the obvious. How's the blame falling out? No blame for self-defense, Will, Beverly said, hands loosely on her lips. Oh, he said. No need to breathe a sigh of relief when he was still playing the angle that he couldn't remember a thing. Okay. You done? Jack asked. Because I'd like my turn. Jack. Beverly gave him a withering but stern stare. This really isn't the time. Why'd you call lectors lawyers? Jack asked, ignoring her. Did it do me any harm? Will asked. He could tell Jack wanted to answer his rhetorical question, but kept his mouth shut. I needed to go after him alone, Jack. It was the right thing to do. No, you thought it was the right thing to do for you. Wasn't meant to end the way it did. I didn't think that. That he would make me work for it so damn hard. You know, sometimes I think this is the only way it was supposed to end. Oh, Jack asked, eyebrows raised. Well, that's nice to know. Really, I'm happy for you. Jack, please, Alana said stoutly. Enough. Remember anything about that ending, do you? Jack continued regardless. Honestly, Will said, looking down at his bandaged chest. I'm glad that I don't. I wish I didn't. Beverly's phone rang. Hell, I'll get kicked out of the ICU, she muttered, quickly leaving the room. I'm going to get your records, Jack said tiredly, pointing at him. Don't go anywhere, okay? Which left the room uncomfortably empty, but for Alana Bloom. Will held Eleanor tightly and tried to ignore the silence. After a few moments, Alana walked to the empty chair and sat down. She looked deflated. Did Jeffrey Milo bring her up? Will asked. Alana frowned. About my height, blonde hair, green eyes. Oh, yeah. Yeah, I met him for a couple of minutes. Did he? Do you really want to know? Will asked himself. Did he say anything? Not really. Just went through the motions, really. Handed her over to the lawyers. Then the lawyers gave her to us. You're lucky, you know. Damn lucky that they did. I know. I know I am. Although it was more judgment than luck, because Will knew why Murasaki had given him all that she had, returning Eleanor to him, granting him the use of their lawyers. All because... Will remembered what he had done the night before. Letting him go. Will... She said the name slowly, as if it were a small, cautious creature just within reach. I'm not here to grill you. I sense a butt coming into the equation. He was there. We know he was there. Uh-huh. I know what he did to you because I read the report. He stayed silent, leaning his head against Eleanor's. Are you really going to let him walk away? I don't know what you're talking about. 
Will shrugged awkwardly with one shoulder. I don't remember. Bullshit. She shook her head. Christ, Will. Please just... Would you be straight with me for one minute? You of all people are going to ask me that? Yes, I'm asking you. Don't push me, Alana. Is this how you're going to leave us? With nothing but ghosts? That's rich. Will smiled flatly. Really, considering that's how you left me. What? You know. You know. Because I spent years blaming Lowndes for losing Ellie. I just didn't want to spend years blaming you, too. Oh, God, don't bring this up now. Alana rubbed at her face and looked tired. That was different. I didn't do it for a fucking headline. I did it to save your child's life. I know. I helped you get her back. Alana sounded as if she were rationalizing her choice. Oh, so now you don't have to feel guilty for signing off on the child services reports because you helped me get her back, Will asked. It wasn't like that. Alana, please. Please, just don't. I know. Part of me will always thank you, because you did what you had to do. And part of me will always resent the hell out of you, because I know that there was a piece of you that still liked watching everything I had fall apart. Because I had everything you wanted. She stared at him, shocked and furious. That's not true! How could you say that? Sorry, he said facetiously. The truth tends to run away with my mouth when I'm done giving a shit. You need to take a step back, she said seriously, hurt and angry. And look around you before you accuse me of reveling. Reveling? Is that what you think? That I loved your misery? Just a little. Will smiled tightly. Right? God, you son of a bitch! Jack nearly ran into Alana on the way back in. He gave the retreating doctor a strange look as Alana left, her heels clicking smartly on the floor. Jack pushed the door to the side and sat down in Alana's vacated chair, flipping open Will's charts. How much longer? Will asked. Do you mean for the hospital or until the trial? Jack said soberly. Either. There isn't going to be a trial, he admitted slowly, shrugging. It's... I managed to convince them that it was in our best interest to push this as a success story. Eleanor shifted a little and curled her knees up. Will winced as her weight leaned against his wounded body and managed to push himself up the bed a little higher, into a sitting position. Thanks, Jack. Least I could do. Look, about Delara Hyde. Ah? Jack lifted his hand, palm up. I don't want to hear it. You're trying to make me culpable? As far as I understand it, Will, he said, staring him straight in the eyes. You don't remember a thing, right? Nodding slowly, Will agreed to take on the pact. That's right. Good. Then we don't have anything to worry about. They going to force the resignation, or are you taking it without a fight? You let me worry about who's resigning from where. Jack said, rubbing at his neck. Oh, and as for hospital stay, five days. Two for treatment, three for observation. Will licked his lips and expected to taste iron. He closed his eyes and opened them, expecting to see bright lights. He thought he heard his voice. Oh God, oh God, please. Do you think it's... He frowned, looking back to Jack. Possible to be free of it all? I don't think we ever forget. Jack said, shaking his head slowly. It's a drawback of the job. We're not designed to overlook misery. I just wanted to be a family, he said quietly against Eleanor's curls. It would have been enough. It wasn't your fault. You believe it was your fault? Then you're a goddamn sucker. You're a sap. Will closed his eyes and laughed. 
hating that it pulled at the slit muscles and bruised skin. When he opened them, Jack was watching him as if he were mad. I gave the same advice recently. Then maybe you ought to take it, Jack said, raising his brows. Will thought he might just do that, if he could only find... It was amazing what could be accomplished in six weeks. It had been as easy as asking. Murasaki was being almost uncomfortably accommodating, enough to make Will feel a stab of guilt every time she gave him something else. The money, use of their villa in south of France, cruise tickets, all for the price of one man's freedom. As he and Eleanor sat atop their carry-on luggage, Will folded a paper airplane from their registration details. The Miami sun was hot and high, baking the sidewalk. Behind them, their little house on the ocean sat empty and barren, gutted and packed, and all ready to be shipped on ahead of them. Even the dogs had been put into their first steps of quarantine, ready for the long journey to their new home. He had considered rehoming them, but then realized that he was done compromising himself for the sake of others. He loved his dogs, and they loved him, and that was all he needed to know. The last couple of folds made the nose of their little paper airplane nice and balanced, you think it'll fly? He asked her, as he held it up against the beating sun. Eleanor didn't answer. Her arm stuck fast around Winston the dog. She gave him a long, slow glance, and, when he didn't break it, eventually nodded. Okay, let's see. Will pulled back, waited, then thrust his arm forward and flicked his wrist. The airplane sailed on the hot air like a bird, catching the updrafts. It slid to a shushing halt on the asphalt, just as Beverly Katz pulled up, crushing it under one large wheel of her Dodge Ram. Will looked at Ellie and shrugged, raising his palms. She looked away, back to the pavement, but rushed to his side and held him close as Beverly exited her car. They didn't have any Fanta, she said, handing Will a bottle of 7-Up. So I got you that. Here, sweetie, I got you orange juice. Ellie hid her face when Beverly offered the carton. Will stroked her hair and took the juice. Here, kiddo, you like orange. She took it carefully and quietly, before hiding her face against his leg. Beverly cracked open her can of Coke and took two large gulps. Ugh, hate this stuff, she said, but nothing like it on a hot day. You sure you don't need a hand to the harbor? You helped us pack, Will said, thinking of the years of memories trapped in a dozen cardboard boxes. That's help enough, honestly. No heavy lifting, she said seriously. You heard the doctors, right? Weren't just nodding and a-hawing them. I heard. Okay, well. She leaned back on her hands. I'm going to be jealous, south of France. Most of us only dream of that. How long are you able to stay there for? Um, actually, there's no limit, Will said, scratching at his neck and then forcing himself to stop the unhealthy habit. Hannibal has dual nationality, did you know? He, uh, anyway, that's not important. We're still bonded, so that passes his dual nationality onto me and Ellie. We can stay as long as we want. Wow, okay. Beverly seemed to be searching for things to say. Well, I heard you have a vineyard, right? On your slopes? All that French wine at your fingertips? Will let out a small laugh. Spend my life drunk on extravagance? Have to be drunk on something, she said dryly or we might start remembering where we are and what we've done. True, he sighed. More true than I could handle. A car drove past, leaning out into the other lane to avoid their little cluster of bags and legs. 
Did you see the headlines yesterday? Beverly asked once it was gone. Yep. Nice not to be vilified by the press for once. Jack hoped you'd be happy. Happiness is subjective, Will shrugged. Not something you can impose on someone else. Did you see Lieutenant Fogel's quote? Yeah. Think he likes you? She grinned. He was a good guy. When they found me. Will scratched at his chest again. You know what he said? Beverly shook her head. Good job. That's what he said. Good job. I get the feeling that... He cleared his throat. No one understands that we have a fundamental flaw in the way we see people. He shook his head. Anyway, that's not going to change. Do you know if Starling's staying on? She's joining the team. Your spot. She holds her own. Let us know that pretty quick. Already put Jimmy in his place. Something about... Oh, what was it? Um, damn... You know, I can't even remember exactly what she said now, but it would have cracked you up. I'll bet, he smiled, pulling Eleanor closer and helping her to put the straw in her juice box. Look, Bev, thanks for this. Uh, don't worry about it. I had a few holiday days left to take. She waved away the thanks, and nothing to do with them. I'm pretty sure you could have thought of something more relaxing. The conversation wound down. They sat in a row on the sidewalk, legs out into the road, drinking juice and keeping each other company. The heat shimmered in hazy waves, making the day wobble. Will closed his eyes and let his head drop back, even as the strain it put on his chest was painful. The muscles were incredibly tender still, as they slowly stitched themselves back together. He was yet to decide if he was lucky or unlucky that Hannibal was such a first-rate surgeon. The sun shone through his closed eyelids in a red maze of veins. He fished out his sunglasses from his shirt pocket and dropped them on. A whisper from the dulled world. You always did see better in the dark. Somehow, the day felt cold. He sighed and stood up, shaking out his left arm. His right was still tender, even now loose by his side. When he started pacing, he didn't truly notice it, not until he realized there was a shadow following him. Will turned and looked down, finding Eleanor behind him. Will blinked. He looked up to find Katz, watching them both, from her slouch on the ground. Her eyes were difficult to accept, sad and resigned. You okay? How many times will you have to be asked? Hmm, he hummed. His shirt was open two buttons. Will reached inside to scratch at the itching skin around where the stitches had been, pushing back the material. When he looked back, Beverly was watching him, blinking. What did he do to you, Will? She asked him through the hand over her mouth, shaking her head as she stared the fresh purple scar on his finger and the lines on his chest. What has he not done to me? Will smiled emptily. Will. I'll be okay, Bev. I promise. We'll be okay. That's all I want, she said, nodding, looking up to meet his eyes. I just hope that's what you want, too. More than anything, I'm done with searching. Will stared at next door's house, with its large gauche for sale sign in the yard. Milo's house. Guess I have to be found at some point. Good, she said with a small smile of her own. Because I didn't want to have to use foul language in front of this little cutie, Bev said, standing up tiredly to walk to his side. She ran her hand through Ellie's curls, but the little girl didn't react. Take the time, okay? Take the time to remember how important she is. Time is all I'm going to have, Will said, looking down at his daughter. Right, honey? Going to go on a big ship, huh? Maybe you'll see more dolphins. 
Remember the dolphins you saw when Mr. Milo took us out in his boat? Eleanor pushed her face down into the soft dog in her hands and stayed utterly silent. Will sighed and rubbed at her back, wishing he had an answer. He looked to Bev and licked his lips. Still not speaking to me. It'll come, Bev said confidently. Just give her time. Yeah, he said. I know. The rock and sway of the ocean was difficult to discern on so hulking a ship, but the roll was still there. A slight nausea mixed with the feeling of being a cork bobbing up and down in a swimming pool. They were still close enough to shore that the gulls were bothering the ship, swooping and cawing. The light ash boards made a pleasantly heavy clunk as they walked across, under the steely sky. A short woman with red hair turned the corner, bumping his arm. "'Oh, God, sorry!' she said breathless, with her camera bumping back and forth around her neck and her cagoule bright and flashy. No problem. Will noted Ellie hiding in behind his legs. Overcast, huh? She said, keeping the conversation going beyond its boundaries. Typical. I hope it's sunny in St. Malo. Right, Will said, moving off. Oh, hey there, honey, she said spotting Ellie. Will tensed up. Isn't she the sweetest? Four? Three. I have two of my own, she said, lifting her shoulders in a loose shrug, palms up. Five and seven. Handful. But then you'll know all about that. Sure do. Will smiled flatly. Okay, well, nice speaking to you, she said, rubbing her hands as Will walked off. Maybe see you about at dinner. He left in the silence of the air and the water and the movement of the floating hulk. Looking over the edge, he felt like he was standing on top of a skyscraper looking down on the waves far below. It wasn't entirely pleasant, but Ellie seemed to enjoy it. Or he thought she did. She stared at it mutely, holding Winston close. Will hunched down and picked her up, putting her down on the curved wooden seats. They huddled together, looking out towards the horizon. You warm enough, kiddo? A pause. She nodded. Okay. Want some hot chocolate? A quick nod. Will smiled. Uh-huh. Thought so, he said. Come on, let's. He entered without looking, keeping quiet as it went on like a trilling bird, desperate to warn, because the thought that it could be... Hey! Milo, he said on instinct. Yeah, yeah. He said, pausing, as if not knowing what to say. It's me. A gaggle of young women and men poured out onto the deck, laughing and holding on to each other. Will held his tongue as they walked past, leaning against the railing and chatting. Too close. He stood up, taking Ellie's hand, and led her towards the prow where it was quieter. You want to? Will swallowed. Um, sorry. No, it's okay. I just wanted to check that, well, you were okay, Jeff said, the line cracking a little. I am, he said too quickly. We're good. It's just, I didn't get a chance to see you. But with the house and Susan, and, well, yeah. We just left, actually, about twenty minutes ago. You're breaking up a bit. Reception's pretty bad. Probably won't last much longer. Will. He couldn't bring himself to interrupt the hesitation, even as it spanned out, long enough that he thought the connection might have dropped, then. I just wanted to check on you. I don't know if I ever said, but... A long breath... I'm going to miss you, miss you a hell of a lot, and, well, well, there it is. I know. 
Don't tell me that's all you're going to say. Forgive me? What? Forgive me for all of the shit I've done. You're making it sound like you're going to die. Forced humor. You're not, are you? No more than any other day, Will joined in. How's the sale going? Uh... A wobble in his tone. Cleared out with a cough. Okay, actually. Selling better than yours. Why the hell did you give asking price? Been speaking to my real estate agent? Will frowned through a smile. Yeah, actually, Jeff said, chuckling. She's a real, um, nice gal. Sure. Nice line. Did she scare the crap out of you, too? Oh, yeah. Will laughed, even if it hurt. Looking down into the water, the white horses marched on. Memories he would never let go. Sand and the smell of barbecue, smoked on hot skin, and suntan lotion and stolen kisses. You know, I'd presented you a heck of a lot for pushing your way into my life, Will said softly. I'd. I'd even think about ignoring you when you'd come and knock at the door. But I didn't, because... You were good to me. And that's a rare thing these days. So I'm sorry, he said. Heartfelt enough that he felt it. Let me tell you that I'm sorry and mean it. I really am. I just... need you to know that. The wind picked up. Eleanor pushed herself up to her toes to try and look through the slatted spaces out towards the ocean. Will listened closely. Not after everything, Milo said, as if he was speaking to himself. I don't blame you, so I can't forgive you, okay? I guess I deserve that. Maybe you do, but I don't want you to leave me thinking I hate your guts, okay? I always really... The sentence couldn't be finished, and Jeff didn't make things complicated by doing it. So don't make me out to be the bad guy here. Oh, I know bad guys, Jeff. I know bad guys, and you're not one of them. Good, because... His voice suddenly began chopping in and out. Will looked at his reception down to the bars. Um, but... What? You're really breaking up. Jeff? He amazed himself by how desperate he sounded. The interference grew worse. Then, nothing. Then a few quick beeps, and Will was left staring at Jeff's profile from his contact list. Call ended. Will felt he was subject to many endings, so much so that he was sure his life couldn't be a story any longer. Too many to count. When the phone rang again, Will answered quickly, because this might be the last chance he had to. Darling. One word that stopped his world. Will found himself staring at the ironclad sky, and wondering if there was a sunny day behind it. Were the skies pale blue, cloudless and radiant? Would the day be perfectly dry, with no threats of rain or wind? Just right? And Will realized that he would never know, and he would have to live with not knowing, because the clouds would always be in the sky. Which is why he opened his mouth, almost involuntarily, said, Hannibal? Ah, you're there. The waning reception made Hannibal's voice slightly unstable. I thought I had missed you. Seems I am not too late. There was nothing he could say. Will stood on the deck, staring out at the ocean, and knew that nothing he did would allow him to flee. There was no distance between them. There never had been. And there wouldn't be now. I wish to know you had made it safely on board. And it seems you have. I hope you do not get seasick. We never did sail together, did we? There are a few... And tricks. I have to make life on the water easier. Perhaps if the little one and find her sea legs? Ginger and hot water to steep for five minutes. 
works wonders. You're breaking up. He couldn't say it, because he couldn't acknowledge that he wanted to hear more. And don't regret to think about it, dearest, but don't dwell on it, yes? You can't, because the world doesn't spin, and the clock doesn't tick when we're together, and time must move on. Will? He was asked, suddenly clear. Are you still there? It was as surprisingly easy as it was damnably difficult to put his hand over the side of the boat and drop his phone into the water. Will imagined Hannibal's voice falling with it, still there, still reaching out for him as it fell. He didn't hear the splash. Shit, one of the young men was saying from further down the deck. Hey man, your phone. You okay? He dropped it, one of the women was saying softly, touching her partner's arm. Will felt a tug at his left hand. When he looked down, Eleanor was looking up at him. Small fingers curled around his thumb. She looked concerned, an expression out of place on a three-year-old. He hunkered down, putting himself level with her, knowing that the look in his eyes wouldn't be anything he wanted her to see. But he couldn't hide himself forever. Not forever. What's up, sweetheart? Winston the dog was put down with all the circumception and delicacy of a human child. Then one hand appeared at his left cheek, the other at his right, Eleanor leaned in and clumsily kissed at his nose. Will I kiss it better? She was pulled into a sudden and tight hug. She found her little arms up to his shoulders and held on. Will knew his tightly closed eyes were keeping the world safe from him, and him safe from the world. After a few moments, he leaned back, holding her curls gently as he kissed her forehead. She looked up at him with maroon eyes, and no need for words between them. Let's get you that hot chocolate, yeah? He said through a smile. A nod in reply. Will watched her pick up her dog and take his hands as they walked towards the cafe, under the confused stares of the onlookers, knowing that they understood each other.